session with Dr. Farid Kolaki. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Dolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. Before I get into the summary of the book from the past week, uh, the book for this week is The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine N. Aaron. The Highly Sensitive Person, How to Thrive When the World Overwhelms You. And I'd gotten several messages on Instagram about this uh, term, highly sensitive person, that some people, it's not an actual diagnosis, but some people will uh, talk about that some people they think should be classified in this way. But um, I saw this book in the bookstore, and as I said before, often do judge books by their cover and thought I'd read a book on this topic since I'd gotten several questions about it. So it's the highly sensitive person by Elaine and Aaron, and I will be talking about that on next Monday's show. And the book for this week, I didn't realize this book has the word shame in the title, and we think of highly sensitive, maybe there's a connection there. But anyway, this book is So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Bronson. So You've Been Publicly Shamed. I read his book, The Psychopath Test, was it last year or two years ago? But anyway, this book is about, as the title implies being shamed publicly, which used to happen as a form of punishment very commonly, even in the U.S. up until the mid-1800s. But really now he's talking about the public shamings that occur online, where, where someone says something, tweets something, or posts something that then goes viral for all the wrong reasons, and then they get publicly shamed in the court of public opinion. And um, it was an interesting book as far as being an easy read. I was hoping to get more from a psychological perspective. There was some about shame, which I thought was interesting, but even more about what might be driving some of the public shaming. There definitely was talk about it throughout the book, but I thought it'd be more in-depth in that way. And I might share some of my own thoughts on that, of why we might do what we do when we all pile on someone and judge them and shame them for doing or saying something. Uh, but getting into the book, as I mentioned, he does talk about how shaming used to be, or public shaming used to be a very common form of punishment in our courts uh, in the UK, here in the United States. You see it almost not at all now. He does share the stories of some judges who still do it, especially one who uh, does things like have someone walk around with a sign across from a high school this individual had killed someone drunk driving wearing a sign saying i killed someone drunk driving something like that Uh, so it does still happen it's far less common 
um, because, as he mentions, not because cities became too big, which is why, what a lot of people think is why we stopped doing public shamings, because they thought, well, you can't really shame someone if they think they are seeing people that they don't really know. Uh, but instead, as he says, it's because people want more compassionate responses. So we no longer had this as part of our judicial system, but now we have a new type of court online, and especially he talks a lot about Twitter, where people get publicly shamed for things they have said or things they have done. And the book starts off talking about another author, Jonah Lehrer. I read his book, um, I think it was called A Book About Love. And I mentioned on the show that when I picked up the book, I didn't know about the controversy he had where he had done some self-plagiarism, which isn't to me so bad, but still bad, where you use your own work that you've already published somewhere else, but don't mention that you published it previously. But even worse than that, he had attributed some quotes to Bob Dylan that were not true, or he had modified them, uh, some words here and there, to maybe fit his narrative more. But that is obviously a big journalistic error or unethical thing to do. And he got caught for this and faced a lot of backlash. And so John Ronson, the book, the author of this book, interviews him and goes through what he went through and uh, you know the shaming he went through and how it really threw his career in a very into a tailspin and he's trying to make a comeback now um, but it's interesting to see his in-depth interviews with some of these people but after him he gets into the story of an anonymous woman or a woman who was I shouldn't say anonymous but not very well known she had something like 170 followers until she sent a tweet that went viral for all the wrong reasons um, and her name is Justine Sacco, S-A-C-C-O. Not sure if I'm saying that right. But she was a woman in PR, young, I think in her 30s. And her story was quite interesting because she wrote a tweet, which I will actually read to you, and it'll give you an idea of the types of things that people said that led to these public shamings, oftentimes really bad things, jokes that weren't that funny, but even worse than not being funny, extremely offensive potentially racist or uh, sexist or different types of negative um, statements were made, but people then got publicly shamed on Twitter or online. And so I'll share your her story a little bit so you get an idea of one of these. So uh, here she was about to go on a trip or a, a flight from Heathrow Airport to, I believe it was Cape Town in South Africa. And so she wrote a tweet that said, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. So, yeah, horrible joke, again, not funny, and not only not funny, incredibly offensive. So, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. And she said, actually, she checked the phone after she sent this tweet, and before she took off, she saw no replies, and maybe we can imagine, as the author does, she was a little bit disappointed. Most people post something and hope to get some response, likes, and retweets and things of that sort. But anyway, she turned off her phone because she was on her flight, but she didn't know what was going on as she was in the air with her phone off. Because while she was in the air, her tweet and her herself became one of the most trending topics, I think actually the most trending topic on Twitter with people writing things that I can't even actually read all of them because they have a lot of profanity in them, but talking about how racist and ignorant she was, um, everyone go report, 
I can't even say that this word that a user used, but starts with a C and um, calls for her to lose her job. And then uh, uh, not only was she trending, but there was a uh, hashtag has Justine landed yet because people had tracked her flight based on what she said uh, going from Heathrow to Cape Town. And people were wondering when she would land. And even when she did land, someone was there to take a picture of her. So it's incredible how uh, these things work, that in her flight, she went from unknown to the most talked about thing on Twitter. And people were talking about how horrible she was and hateful she was. And again, her joke was racist and horrible. And she herself, though, was not trying to be racist. She thought she was making a joke, talking about how in a way she has white privilege. But one of the problems with tweeting, as is the case with texting, is you can't hear sarcasm. And even still, the joke should not have been made. Um, but she didn't actually think she can't get AIDS because she's white. But that, that was implied in her tweet. And so she was the uh, receiving a lot of hate because of that. And by the time she landed, her life was changed. And after that, she lost her job and went through a whole bunch of horrible things. But this gives you an idea of the types of things that people have done that led to public shamings. Someone else posted a picture of themselves by Arlington Cemetery in the United States, a military cemetery. And there was a sign that said something like, be quiet and show respect. And she was yelling or making it look like she was yelling while holding up the middle finger, which is similar um, to holding up the thumb for Iranians. And she got a lot of backlash as well. And the way I looked at this book or these individuals was this joke that she made, Justine, was horrible and really should not have been made. But should her life be ruined because of it? I actually don't think so. Um, I think it's a bad joke. It definitely can perpetuate racism, even if she's saying it as a joke. I don't think it's good. And we should call people out when they say things like that, whether it's online or in person. I think that is important, something that we don't want to just accept people making jokes that can be harmful. But at the same time, going from calling someone out to ruining their life is very different. And that's what we see happening. People will make these jokes and then all of a sudden it becomes this feeding frenzy where people get uh, excited and there is some group mentality or crowd mob mentality that takes over. He talks a bit about that in this book, um, trying to understand why this happens. Why do we all jump on and insist that this person, for example, lose their job? And even worse, of course, you hear lots of death threats that people get. And usually women, far more than men, also hear threats of sexual assault, of people saying they're going to rape this person or do things like that. And very sadly, he does share stories of people who got publicly shamed in this way, who then took their own lives. So we see even it can lead to suicide when people get shamed in this way. And so I'm all about people bringing about awareness that we should not allow people to say things that are harmful and, of course, not to do things that are harmful. But we have to be aware of our reactions as well. The way we react is very important. And he does talk about how Twitter and social media in general, in some ways was this great equalizer because it allowed for everyone to have a voice and also everyone to have a voice against bigger powers as well. He shares some stories of newspapers who printed something that was not okay and then people 
um, were very public about their outrage, and then that led to advertisers pulling their ads. And that can be good, it's like a kind of justice, social justice that comes about through social media. But what we're seeing here sometimes, to me, is an over-response in how we react. And as I was going to say uh, a few thoughts on that in the last few minutes in the segment, I think there's a lot of things going on here. One is, and I've talked about this when we talk about political correctness and what words we use, I'm very uh, strong uh, proponent of people being aware of the words we use to talk about people. So although it can be tedious at times and it might not be comfortable for people, but the words we use are very important. And so words do matter, absolutely. The way we talk about people, the terms we use that can be more judgmental, more negative, can even be um, dehumanizing, those are very bad things. And we have to be aware of those words, and we should talk about them to find the words that are more appropriate because language does matter. When we talk about people in a certain way, that affects the ways that we treat them. But when we change the words that we use or take certain words out of our uh, vocabulary and vernacular that can change the ways they are treated as well. However, sometimes we go to the extreme where if someone even says or thinks the wrong thing, we judge them fully as just a bad person. So if someone uses the wrong word, it's not just they've used the word they shouldn't have used. Maybe they're ignorant, whatever it might be that led to them using their word. We don't say that. We say they're a racist and a horrible person and that, again, we should just publicly shame them or whatever the context might be, treat them as poorly as we want because we judge them as a very bad human being. And I've shared this idea before that I believe some of what drives that, and again, I think when people are being racist, we should not ignore it whatsoever and it should be definitely dealt with. But I think some of what can lead to the overreaction is that we all inherently, or I should actually, let me take that word out, not inherently, but we all have some amount of prejudicial thinking in our mind, whether it's racist or against some kind of group. We all have that. We all know we have our biases and there's tests that you can take even online, the implicit association test you can find. And you'll see that there are certain biases that you will have in favor of certain groups and against certain groups. We could want to accept that we don't have them and feel it's better not to have them, of course, but we all have them. And so I think some of our reaction is in a way a projection that when we see this thing in other people, a racist thought or a sexist thought or anti-whatever thought it might be, we attack it so wholeheartedly just like we attack negative qualities in our, of ourselves we see in others because we see it and we hate it because we wish we didn't have that. So we respond so strongly and react so strongly because what we see in this other is actually something we see in ourselves. And I would think that if we can recognize that, we'd see that our reaction is far too strong for the wrong reasons. Yes, we should be concerned. We should not accept it. We should try to communicate with each other to recognize what's right, what's not right, how we can do things better. But if we react so strongly that we shame anyone who uses the wrong word or term, Again, sometimes out of ignorance, they don't even know. And sometimes because of their ignorance, they're afraid to even talk because we're afraid if we say the wrong thing, we're going to get shamed forever. So we just don't even talk. Rather than opening up communication and discourse, we're shutting it down by our judgmentalness. So I think it's important to recognize that when we start to react so strongly, very often it's because we ourselves know we harbor some thoughts or feelings that 
aren't good. Even if we're not so conscious of them all the time, we know they are there. So when we see it in someone else in a self-righteous way, we like to say, oh, look at this person. How could they think or feel that way? And I'm going to react so strongly because that also shows how good I am because I think what they said or did is so negative. But also I think it reflects something within ourselves. And of course, online we know that there is an anonymity we have and that distance we have from the person we are hurting, which unfortunately makes it easier for us to hurt them or be harsh and say things. People write things online that they would never say to someone's face. One, because maybe they would be too scared, but also they would be too embarrassed to say those things. And so online people will say things and write the most horrific things that they would never think to say. It's the distance they have from the person who's receiving it and also a level of anonymity that they get from being behind the computer or behind their phone where they don't have to really face that individual. And also we dehumanize the person that we are harming and we think of them as less than human. And so this goes back to some of those things we'll say of just their scum and their trash and they're racist and they're all these things. We give them these labels in a way trying to take away their humanness because once someone is not human, we allow ourselves or it makes it a lot easier for us to treat them horribly. So you can say the worst thing ever and just say, well, they deserve it or that should happen to them. Uh, so this book was eye-opening and seeing the reactions that people have gotten for things that, again, although might have been wrong, the punishment did not fit the crime. The punishment was far too harsh, in my opinion, than the crime. If you make a racist joke, should there be a reaction? There definitely can and should be. But should that person's life be ruined? I actually don't think so. But we do create this feeding frenzy online, which is unfortunate. And in this book, he actually, I think, gives a good argument for recognizing that the person that's getting shamed, sometimes we should put ourselves in their shoes or realize that what they're getting and receiving might not be fair. And we have this tendency to go to this extreme place of shaming people publicly for things that, albeit wrong, don't deserve that type of punishment. Um, so I, I liked the stories, and he does a good job interviewing different people in different walks of life who've gone through different things. And as always, when we hear people's stories, it gives us a little bit more perspective by putting us in their shoes and makes them more human. So I thought he did a good job of doing that, and it was a very easy read uh, in that way. And again, this book was recommended to me by my good friend Sam Golzari. So thank you, Sam, again for that recommendation. And please send the book recommendations coming. Always looking for new books to add to the list. So this was So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. Again, the book of the week for this week is The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine and Aaron. All right, reached our first commercial break. We'll be right back. back. In the first segment, I was talking about the book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. And I mentioned dehumanization and how a lot of these victims of public shaming often were dehumanized by the people online who were attacking them and called horrible things and were not just called horrible things, but threatened to do horrible things to them or said people should do horrible things to them. And I wanted to talk about in some ways, the flip side of dehumanization, where we tend to usually think of dehumanization is where we make someone less than human. We make them an animal or we make them a robot. And you see this in a lot of the propaganda that takes place before a genocide or a war where the group that is going to be 
persecuted or attacked is made to be looked at as less than human, as some kind of animal or insect or robot or against something not human, and then that makes it easier or okay to do whatever you do to them because they don't even deserve to be treated well. They're not even human. Um, although an argument can be made that just because something or someone isn't human doesn't mean you should treat them poorly. We should treat animals well also. But we know it's a lot easier for us to treat something we see or someone we see as less than human in a bad way or to accept or tolerate their bad treatment. Um, but the other side that maybe some, some might say, well, who cares to give them too much support? They're doing okay anyway, but is people like celebrities or people who are in the public light who we sometimes put on a pedestal. So it's the other side of dehumanization, but it still is to me a type of dehumanization, but it's when we make people more than human or better than human. This could include actors, actresses, musicians, celebrities in sports, whatever it might be where we make them in some way better than human. And most of us would think this is a great thing and we maybe even would have aspire to be at that level. And so that's what I meant when I said people will hear this and think, well, what's the point of giving them uh, some time of you know, feeling sorry for them or saying we should treat them better? And my point isn't to say that it's hard to be a celebrity or it's bad to be a celebrity or that we should feel bad for them. But I think it is important to recognize that there's a flip side to dehumanization, that when we make someone less than human, that's bad. But when we make them more than human, that actually isn't good either. And again, it could seem nice. We'd all like to be seen in that way, we would think. But we take away their humanness, and that actually isn't good either. And that's why I think it's so easy for people to be so mean to celebrities. We, in a way, don't make them human. People, whether it's online or even in person, will say and do very mean things to celebrities but think it's okay or it doesn't matter. Even probably most of us, even I'm, I could see myself included, will say worse things about celebrities than we would say about people we know or people around us. In some way, it's almost okay to talk bad about them or to say mean things or derogatory things about them because somehow they're considered not human not having feelings like you and me. And so that's why it actually isn't so good to be put on a pedestal or seen not as human because you lose some of that decent, uh, that decency and respect that we give to most people can be taken away. They get praise and adulation in ways that they probably don't deserve when we make them so much better than others when really they're not. They're, let's say someone's talented, that's wonderful, but it doesn't make them larger than life or better than other human beings. But we also expose them or allow them to be treated in ways that is not okay. And if we take that a little bit, a step down, even not just celebrities, but people in our lives, when we put them on a pedestal, or we think it's good to put our kids on a pedestal. And sometimes I have this image of when you put someone up on a pedestal, or I have a a bookshelf in my office, so sometimes the image might come up in a session with a client, and I imagine when they were raised or in some part of their life, they felt like they were put in a pedest on a pedestal or that they wanted that. But when you're up on a pedestal, it's nice, and it seems like everyone is looking up to you, and that part can feel good. But when you're also, as I'm imagining right now, on top of the bookshelf, you can't be close to anyone either. You're not connected to anyone. So you get disconnected or you have to be isolated and alone, if you're put on a pedestal. So as much as we 
might think we want to be that better than others, larger than life. And as much as we might think, well, we don't want to be thought of as less than, being thought of as better than is actually not so good either. It doesn't feel as nice as we might think it will feel. In reality, what we'll want to feel is that we are like everyone else. We can all be unique, but as far as our worth or our value, it should be seen as equal or we even would want that to be the case. And so oftentimes, I've said this when it comes to parenting or relationships and a lot of areas of life, when we see something negative, we think the solution is the opposite. So if your parents called you stupid all the time when you were a kid, now you're a parent, you think the good thing is to do the opposite. So you just tell your kids they're smart, they're smart, they're smart, not realizing that this itself can put a pressure and lead to things like a fixed mindset rather than a growth mindset that could have negative consequences as well. Or your parents were way too strict and abusive, and that's obviously bad, but you can go to the other extreme and become so lax and have no structure and boundaries that that actually can be hurtful for your children as well. So we think, well, I don't want to be thought of as less than other people, um, as dehumanized in that way, but we almost think the solution or what would be desirable is to be dehumanized the other way, to be thought of as better than everyone else, to be um, elevated in some way. And you even see this in some of the pop psychology, or I've talked a bit about social media, but the ways people post that you should think of yourself as a king or queen amongst other people. And I'm all about celebrating yourself and your strength and your goodness and greatness, but not in the sense that you're better than other people. Sometimes people take this to mean because I'm at this level, I can even treat people bad or not care about what other people think or do because I'm at this station that somehow is elevated. So genuine self-esteem or the healthy self-esteem we should be striving for is not to be thought of as less than anyone, absolutely not, but we actually shouldn't be striving to think of ourselves as better than others either. Again, the solution is in the middle. It's not on the other extreme. So we would want to see ourselves as equal to everyone else, which, yes, we lose that type of specialness we think we want, but we get to be connected to our fellow humans, the people around us in our relationships. People even enter romantic relationships where one person puts the other, or they, in a way, simultaneously will do this, but they'll put the person on a pedestal. And initially, initially it could feel great. So, for example, if someone is a narcissist, and because of that, they have this grandiose sense of self and they need the people around them to make them feel that way, then they'll like being in a relationship with someone that puts them on a pedestal. Or I shouldn't just say like, they almost won't be able to tolerate unless the person does put them on a pedestal. And so you have this type of relationship where one person is constantly praising and making the, the person who's narcissistic feel good about themselves and feel great and better than everyone else. And initially, this can be a good feeling for both of them if it fits both of their personalities well. But one thing is for sure, there'll be very little connection between them because one person is on a pedestal. They're not on the same level playing field. They're not on the same ground to be able to connect to one another. And also, eventually, these types of relationships don't work out or last very long as the person um, either cannot keep making the person feel that good and inevitably there will be disappointments and if those are expressed uh, the world will start crumbling down or just they'll start to resent that things are so one-sided and it won't feel very good but when we even have relationships in this way it's 
not actually what we should be striving towards. So we might think we want to have a partner that thinks we are so much superior to everyone else, but that's actually not the case. We do want someone who loves us, who appreciates us, who sees our uniqueness and loves what is unique and wonderful about us in that way. But we actually shouldn't be looking for someone that thinks that we're better in a way of having more worth than other people. Your partner should love you more and give you more love, but shouldn't see you as somehow superior and put you on a pedestal that's unrealistic. That's not healthy. And unfortunately, a lot of our romantic relationships start with idealizations, which can feel really good both ways. It feels good to think you're with someone who's better than everyone else. And it's also can feel good for your partner to make you feel like you're better than everyone else. But once you eventually crash back down to earth and see that neither one of you was this dream that you created for each other, if your relationship is not based on reality, there's not a lot of solid substance there to keep it going. So I did want to talk a bit about this flip side of dehumanization. Sometimes we only look at the side of putting people less than, which of course is horrible and leads to so much maltreatment, persecution, genocide, war, but also even the tolerance of people being mistreated. You see this, for example, with the homeless population. You'll very often see people talk about people who are experiencing homelessness as somehow less than, or they deserve it. Because really, if we felt their humanness and realized they are obviously all of us, there is no us in them, it would be hard for us to tolerate what they're experiencing and think it's okay. But to deal with this cognitive dissonance, we rather think somehow they either deserve it or they've created it for themselves or they are less than in some way so that it's okay when it absolutely is not. So of course it's horrible when we allow ourselves to dehumanize anyone and make them seem less than. But I did want to devote a few minutes to seeing that there actually is a negative to making people better than human as more than others. It might seem like a good feeling or something we would want, but what happens is when we do that, we in another way disconnect them from everyone else, which is not good and allows them actually to be mistreated sometimes in ways we wouldn't accept for mere mortals like me and you. So we should be aware of that negative flip side, that we shouldn't treat people that way, nor should we strive for that for ourselves. And recognizing our equality amongst people is actually something that will make us happier and healthier and allow for us to connect with one another. All right, we sh- our last commercial break, studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Tonight I've been talking about the book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. And even this idea of why we would want to shame another person. I did talk about how I think some of it, especially when it comes to someone making a racist or judgmental comment, we want to, because we know we have some of that within ourselves, attack the other person in that way, attacking that part of ourself or proving to ourselves. I don't have that within me because look how mad I am and proving to other people. Of course, I'm not a racist. Look how mad I'm getting about the racist comment someone else made. And it's interesting because we are so judgmental about thinking other people are judgmental. So there's almost an irony there 
where we're saying someone is so intolerant and then we're not even being tolerant of them. Not saying we should tolerate hate or tolerate racism, but that we're attacking them in a way that is so judgmental before we really know who they are. So someone makes a comment that's racist or not okay in some way, and we're judging them in totality as a bad person, a bad human being. And again, it's this feeling of righteousness, self-righteousness, that I'm so good and so much better than this person that I'm going to judge them so negatively for what they have said. But I think this judging comes not from some strength or goodness in ourselves, but actually from our own insecurity. So why might we want to shame someone else or make someone else feel bad? Well, it's because we tend to have something within all of us uh, at some level of potentially not being enough. When we talk about self-esteem and self-worth, we can talk about it in an absolute way. High self-esteem or good self-esteem or even more absolute, you either have self-esteem or you don't. But like anything, it's not something black and white and you can have uh, decent self-esteem, but it doesn't mean there never will be any self-doubt or questions of your worth or you'll ever feel down on yourself or that you might not feel shamed uh, in some way. So we all have that. And I think that because of that, because of our own feeling of sometimes not being enough or somewhere in there, it's not there, it can feel good to put other people down, to call people out in a overly harsh, judgmental way and make ourselves feel good. Just like people like to get together and gossip about people they know or people they don't know very well. I actually mentioned celebrities in the last segment. They can be a very easy target. But we feel good when we do that. And I really do mean that. It does. It can feel good for almost all people, at least momentarily. And in this way, it works like a drug. And like most drugs, the problem is that it works in the short term too well. So you're not feeling very good. And if you put some other people down by putting them down in a way you can feel like compared to them up and that can feel good. So the analogy in a way extends further where you feel up, you feel high, you feel good about yourself. But like most drugs, the high doesn't last very long. So you come back down and you can even feel bad about what you're doing. We know that's not um, good for you to sit there and put people down. And also we know that the more you compare yourself to others, even if you do it in a way where you find people who you think are less than you and put yourself above them, we know that that's going to make you more likely to compare in general. And then of course you're inevitably going to end up with people who are quote unquote better than you in whatever domain you're looking at and you're going to feel pretty bad. So like most drugs, it can feel good in the moment, but it backfires by having negative consequences. So this could lead us to be aware of when we're talking bad about other people, whether it's a group of people, of a race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, whatever that might be, or an individual person for something they've done or haven't done or judging their character in some way. We want to be aware of that feeling that we get or be aware of why we're likely doing it. Yes, it might feel good in the moment, but it likely is it's feeling good because it's helping us deal with some insecurity or some less than feelings in ourselves. And I would hope we don't give in to that, give in to that drug that can feel good in the moment and recognize, you know what, if I'm judging this other person, 
then I might need to look at myself and see what's going on there. Not to give in to that temptation and that good feeling of putting someone else down, but look at ourselves. And so, for example, if you hate some group of people, rather than thinking it's because that group is a bad group of people, um, especially when we're talking about group like a race or sexual orientation, whatever the case may be of some type of group, it's not about that group being bad. There's something bad within ourself that's getting triggered in some way, and you want to take a look at that. So it can feel good to, to almost hate or think badly of someone. Usually hate isn't something I would say feels good, but it can feel good to feel better than others momentarily. But we want to not give in to that and to think about, okay, why? Why am I judging this person? Why this person or why this time? Sometimes when we're looking at the person, it's good to look at what connection might I have? What part of myself might I be seeing in this person or group? Or what part from my past? For example, something in your parents or in your family that you don't like or that gets triggered by this person or group and you're taking it out on them. Or also why this time? If you're feeling down on yourself, you're more likely going to want to give in to those drugs that make you feel good. All types of drugs, of course, whether it's actual drugs or alcohol substances or these type of psychological drugs of escaping that negative feeling by taking it out on someone else. So I'm not feeling good about me, and rather than staying in touch with that or feeling that, it feels a lot better just to put someone else down, take it out on them, and also by putting them down, I can feel better about myself. So I think when we look at the public shaming that happens at online, someone says something or someone does something and all of a sudden everyone jumps on them, I think some of what motivates the reactions is this feeling from our, within ourselves of not being enough and it feels good to take it out on someone else. There's almost a relief of, yes, that person is bad. Look how bad they are. Or maybe if we put them down, then doesn't make me so bad because maybe I'm also not so good. And if there's other people that are down or not so great, at least I'm not the only one. So there's a way of putting them back at our level in a way that we might not be aware of. So we have to be aware of our reactions about anything, but especially when we're judging someone so harshly, it can be tough because we can sometimes think, no, it's not that I'm judging them because I'm a judgmental, mean person. I'm judging them because what they're doing is so wrong. And of course, there is times that we need to be outraged and to have indignation that people are uh, carrying out some kind of injustice. And what can be tough to decipher is what's really going on. Am I angry because there's some huge injustice and I'm mad and I want to do something about it to make things more fair? Or is some of what I'm feeling fueled by other things that aren't so uh, righteous, that aren't about justice and about good things, but it's actually because I want to just attack someone or I want to put someone down or make someone feel bad in a way that might make me feel good. And it's really obviously a case-by-case thing. I'm not saying never get upset about anything or always get upset, but just to be aware of this. And there is a tendency now for there to be outrage. Someone says something, especially someone in the public eye, and everyone jumps on them before trying to understand what's going on. And that's the part that makes me think it's not just about the injustice, is that sometimes people just seem like they want to get angry at someone. They want to get mad at some person or some um, 
group for saying something or doing something, which that jumping to the conclusion tells me that the anger, the frustration is coming from somewhere else. It's not just about the situation because we're not having a lot of conversation saying, okay, you know, so-and-so made this joke. Let's try to understand the joke. We can even still say, you shouldn't make that kind of joke. It's not okay. It's perpetuating hate in a certain way that's not good, but let's try to understand them a little bit better and have some more compassion or at least more of a discourse. But what we see is people just jumping in a feeding frenzy of calling for people to be fired or killed and, and various other things because of something they've said. So we don't see this. And what's interesting, and he talks about it a bit in the book, is when we look at social media or something like Twitter, it, it was supposed to create more discourse and conversation. But sometimes because of people's outrage, it just shuts down the discourse and the conversation. Rather than listening to one another or trying to understand one another, we just quickly go into judging each other, putting each other down and making them feel bad about who they are or trying to make negative consequences in their life. And to me, that anger is sometimes not fueled from just a good place, it's from a bad place. And that's where we all have to ask ourselves, why am I so angry? What am I feeling in this moment? Is it really about the action or is it something more about me? And that really to me is such an important point that we have to recognize that we almost all of us carry some feeling of not enough within us, whether it's a more general one or it's more specific to certain domains or areas of our life, it tends to be there and we can have it come up or come out in different ways. And if we're not aware of it, we can take out our reaction to that own part of ourself on other people, whether it's on social media and taking it out on others in that way, or even people around us, friends, family, loved ones, even our partners can be the ones who receive that hate or that anger or that reaction to what is within ourselves. And if you find that that's something that you do that makes you feel good a lot of times, and this is something that lots of people will do to feel good. They gossip when they get together and they really enjoy it. As much as it can be fun, and I'm not trying to take away that fun from people just to take away fun, but I think we have to look at what we're doing and why we're doing it. Why does it feel so good to talk bad about people? Even sometimes talk bad about our friends, people that you think you should be close to and love and to want good for. You can be sitting around saying negative things about them. Why might that be the case? And not just to take the easy way out of saying, oh, well, it's just fun or this is what everyone does, but really taking a closer look at what might be motivating that good feeling we get from putting others down. It's not coming from a good place. It's not something we need to do or have to do. It's something we're choosing to do. And very often because we don't feel so good about ourselves and it's a lot easier to put others down and make them look bad and to actually look at that feeling we have about how we feel about us what we might feel like is not enough within us and as i was i was saying in the last segment rather than uh, thinking the way to feel good is by putting people down or putting ourselves up we should recognize that we are equal to others we don't need to put them down but we don't have to make ourselves feel better than them either we can recognize that equality and, and sameness in that way that we have as far as our value goes so these discussions came about from this book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed by John Ronson. Uh, like I said, it's a good read. I wish it got more into the psychology of what might be leading to what's going on, 
but you do get an in-depth look at various people who've been affected in various ways due to public shamings. And so uh, that part of the book I definitely found interesting. And the book of the week again for this week is The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine and Aaron, the highly sensitive person, how to thrive when the world overwhelms you. And I'll be reading that and sharing it with you on next Monday's show. All right. Thank you to everyone who is listening out there and to Amir here in the studio. Just wanted to make a note. Amir is usually with me on Wednesdays also, but due to some changes in his schedule, he won't be with me on Wednesdays. So I wanted to thank him for all the Wednesday shows, but I'll still get to have him Monday nights. All right, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.